Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. And Steve Nash was in the restaurant eating oh. by himself and he came over and he sat. And so, because he recognized me yeah. from PTI. And, I, and it was like thrilling for me because sure. he's, you know, wonderful. And, uh-huh. and it was great to talk with him for about an hour. And Todd remembered it, he said, because Steve posted pictures of himself there. Oh. So they got a big walk-in crowd yeah. as a result of that. So, was, so if any chef ever says, can I cook for you, just do it. Just if do any it. man ever says that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this Speaking of that. is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. From aspiring chef Richard Todd in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. May I cook for you? Maple smoked salmon on a plank, tender lemon glazed chicken in a clay pot, courtside, trackside, or right on the engine block on a date on a lark, seared, salted, sautéed, even steamed, flavored with mushrooms fresh from the bark. May I cook for you, the amazing Miss Clark. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> it is very lovely. That's just absolutely lovely. All right, let's open the show with, with what I do best, which is get depressed. Um... <laughs> I, you know, people say, oh, you're pretty funny, Tony. Well, I, I can tell you that all funny people have the same thing in common. All funny people. They're pessimists. They're not optimists. If they were optimists, they wouldn't, make, they wouldn't say that they'd just be happy all the time. <laughs> they wouldn't be sarcastic. They wouldn't be funny. They wouldn't look for a line. So I am pessimistic. And what made me pessimistic this morning was not only was I awakened at about 3 in the morning by thunder and lightning. Huge storms. Yeah, thunder and lightning uh, at 3 in the morning. But, you know, that's okay. It, there was not heavy wind or anything. It was heavy rain straight down, but it wasn't heavy wind. And I had to take the dog out in the rain. And the dog doesn't poop in the rain. So we're sitting here waiting for the dog to start whining to say, well, I got to get out now. But I have noticed in the last three or four days, I have, I am, as everybody knows, a creature of habit and routine. And I get up at a certain time all the time. That's just what I do. And I get the dog out at a certain time all the time. And in late May and June and early July, when I got up, there was not just light in the sky, it was bright. You know, 5.45, 6 in the morning, it was bright. 5.30, it was light. 5.15 sometimes, it was light. Not now. No, we're into late July, and the answer is not now. And so now, and again, today was a gloomy, rainy yeah. day. and It's not the average day, but you can tell, and you can tell at night, you can tell at night it is getting darker earlier than obviously around the time of the summer solstice. Uh, and, and we're heading into that where you lose not just seconds, but minutes in the morning and in the evening. And I don't like that. No. I don't like that. It's lovely at like six thirty, seven o'clock to go out walking and it's still light yeah. outside. Yeah. Yeah. So this is So this is the long march towards the great darkness of winter. Yeah, right? it's depressing me. Yes. I, I see it coming before others because I'm, <laughs> because that's who I am. I see the bad stuff first, not the good stuff. If I saw the good stuff, I wouldn't be doing this for a living. Well, really. it is interesting that on the longest day of the year, like, you know, the most... I'm sunshine, depressed. You're depressed because, yeah, that it gets worse from that's here. Right. It does. <laughs> so I'm watching the Nats last night. Dominic oh, yeah. Smith, by the way, is on a heater. He had three hits last night. He didn't drive in any runs, of course, because he never... He's got like... Four home runs and 25 RBI. He's on pace for the worst first base power position numbers in the league. But, you know, he got some hits last night. The Nats are up one nothing in the first. Lane Thomas hits a home run in Chicago. Then they're up 3 nothing by the third. 
And I thought Patrick Corbin was cruising. He got through the first. If he gets through the first without giving up runs, he's usually pretty good. That's a good sign. And he was pretty good. I stopped at 3 nothing. I don't know. Maybe that was the fourth inning. I stopped. I just stopped. I said, okay, I've had enough. They're going to win this game. I woke up this morning to find out they had lost 17-3. to 17-3. The Cubs scored 17 runs in a row. Yeah. Now, they scored a few <clears throat> off Corbin, but they didn't score them all off Corbin. What did Corbin give up? He went five and a third. He gave up three earned. The bullpen came in. Somebody named Amos Willingham. Two-thirds of an inning, four hits, four runs, all earned. Mm-mm. Jose Ferrer, the pitcher, not the actor, not the, uh, great actor, came in, one, one inning, two hits, two runs, two earned. That doesn't touch what happened to Paolo Espino, who I have liked for years. Yeah. Paolo Espino gives you whatever he's got. He'll come in five nights in a row, and he'll pitch for you whatever he's got. Last night... He had squadouche. He had nothing. He was in for one-third of an inning. He gave up seven hits and two walks. Eight earned. Eight, Eight. earned. My God, that's the worst outing of all time. Yeah. And what I like most about this, and I've talked about this before, for those of you who know the term panglossian, it's like foolishly optimistic. Okay. Pangloss, um, from whatever book that is. Candide. I think it's Candide. Foolishly optimistic. Mm-hmm. Davey Martinez. Look, I'm excited. Willingham throws strikes and Ferrer. Now it's just about where they want to throw strikes and how they want to attack hitters. What are you talking about? They got into the game. They got crushed. They got shelled. They gave up combined like a million runs. He didn't even mention a Spino. Because right. what are you going to say about a Spino? Davey yeah. is always, it's not even looking on the bright side. Davey doesn't even acknowledge there's anything else. And after a while, I just say, why am I talking to Davey? <laughs> but what, honestly, if I, was a, right. if I was the beat writer, I go, why am I talking to Davey? Because he's just always saying, he, he casts everything in the best possible light. They're like 25 games under 500. They're one of the worst teams in the league. And Davey's happy that his bullpen throws strikes. You know what happened to those strikes? They, they ended up in the field, <laughs> dropping down for hits. Yes. That's what happened to those. Um, briefly, nobody wants to hear about my golf. I shot 40 on the front yesterday. It's the best I've played in a long time. That's I was fantastic. really happy. Voided the traps? I yeah, uh, until 14 and 15 where I then I got killed. Okay. But I had 40 on the front and then I had 4 5 6 and 4 on the next four holes. So th- through 13 I was like eight over. I was great. I mean, I was so I was great. I was really happy then I got in traps and I couldn't get out and I made a mess of the scorecard, but I really <laughs> I was really happy. Because I'd played so poorly, and I got back to Columbia, and I, from the Golds, I mean, it's a sh- much shorter course, but I really, I played well enough where I thought, okay, I'm really old, but wow, this is good, so happy, happy for that. And it was a perfect day to be out there yesterday. No misery on that. I have a question. We, there's two things going on in soccer that seem to be important. I'm not a soccer person, obviously. No, you're not. There's the Women's World Cup, which is in Australia and New Zealand coming up soon, right? Isn't that soon? Like in the next week or so? I believe so, yes. And there is um, Lionel Messi's debut on Friday for For Inter-Miami. Inter-Miami is a team in the MLS, the United States Soccer League. United States Soccer League's okay, I guess, but it's not, you know, it's not the Premier League. It's not... La Liga, it's not anything like that. Right. It's not. 
you know, and Messi comes over here and he'll be really good. He's 35. Maybe he couldn't be that good anymore. Playing was it, Did he play for Barcelona? I mean, it, it's not... You know, I don't know anything about soccer. I'm the first to tell you. But maybe we should talk about Messi and soccer. And there's two people I've, I think I've... I, we don't have soccer people on, do we? No. Have we had Taylor Twellman on? And we wasn't have, he good? He was very good, yes. Wasn't he good? And Julie Foudy's really good. Yeah, I don't believe we've had her on, but she's quite good. Oh, no, we've had Julie Foudy on. Well, we've had her on PTI. Okay. She's really good. Yeah. And I, she, was, she was on a World Cup winning team. Yeah, she's got very um, She's really player. smart. Stanford, all yeah. that. Really smart, really good. I think Taylor Twellman was really good. Yes, Taylor. I remember Taylor on should the show. We, should we try to talk to Taylor Twellman about Messi on Friday? Should we try that? It's the middle of the summer. Nobody's listening. <laughs> sure. Nobody's really listening. I mean, it, it, it is quite remarkable, and I know there's money involved. But I mean, he's getting play- paid a gazillion dollars. Yes, a play of his caliber to come. This happened with Pelé, of course, but that was 50 years ago. But you, you covered that, I and did. you remember the excitement, because it yes. wasn't just Pelé. It was guys like Georgie Best and Canalia. Um, came over, Beckenbauer came yeah. over, Cruyff came over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but these were not guys at the peak of their career, nor is Messi. Well, Messi isn't anymore, is he? Yeah, but he's still, I think, even at his age, and I think he's, what, 36 or something like that, you know, that he's easily the best player in the MLS just walking on the field. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I'm wondering... <clears throat> Should we try and get Taylor Twelman? I would like to get Julie Foudy, but <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know the time zone differences. You know, I mean that's always a problem. What is the time in Australia? I understand it's tomorrow; it's not today. But what is the time in Australia when we're on and when we would call? He said, "Might be too late," or she may. I, I don't even know if she's. You know, I'm, I'm assuming she's in Australia. I shouldn't even assume that. Yeah. I don't know if she's in Australia, so New Zealand. So it actually might work out. You can't be in Australia and New Zealand at once because they're separate countries. I don't have uh, New Zealand on my world clock, but in Sydney and Melbourne, it's uh, ten past ten p.m. So that's, oh, that's not bad. No, that, they're that pro- well, they're, they might be playing then, though. Uh, yeah, but I, again, I'm I'm sitting here. I don't even know if she's going. I don't know, but let's see if we can get them. I mean, it's because we should. Sure. It, we should be able to do a little bit of soccer. Yeah. And everybody knows I don't know anything about soccer, and I'll ask the obvious questions. And, well, yeah, and I think, for, you know, a lot of people may not be huge soccer fans, but they pay attention when the women's World Cup oh, team yeah. plays. Yeah, that gets very good ratings. Yeah. And I just looked at this. We're the best team in that. Uh, We've been the best team in that for like 20 years. Yeah. You, you, when you, we lose, it's an upset. Yes. And then, it's not like the men. No, the, the, men, the, best. the men would be thrilled to get to the knockout round. You know? I mean, people really need to understand why that is the case. Because a lot of these countries around the world, you know, are not encouraging of women athletes. Yes. In the way that the United States has always been in, encouraging of women athletes. And so we've, we've had the best team for a long time. So I see Australia and New Zealand open play tomorrow at 6 a.m. and 3 a.m., uh, and the United mm. States plays Vietnam on Friday at 9 p.m. Yeah. Well, we could ask. Yeah, we'll reach out. We'll reach but out to again, <laughs> she might be in Ohio. Yeah. I don't know where she lives or anything like that. Yeah, not sure. But she's she, really good. She's terrific. Oh, yes. Good. So we'll take a break. When we come back, is, is it Sands or 40? Sands. Steve Sands from a long way away in Hoylake, England at Royal Liverpool. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc. 
part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. These are Jackie and the Treehorns. Brian Gibson writes, longtime loyal little and drummer for Jackie and the Treehorns. Grateful for your past support of the band. I've attached two songs for your consideration. This is called No Blues. They're going to be um, at Zen West in Baltimore this Friday. July twenty first. Go see them. Yeah, people. Uh, next Friday, July twenty eighth, at the first of the reunion summer shows at St. Stephen's Church on Newton Street, just off Sixteenth Street, Northwest in Washington D.C. And Saturday, August fifth, at the Quarry House Tavern in downtown Silver Spring, Maryland. Jackie and the Treehorns are very, very good. We appreciate them sending music. This plays in Steve Sands, who was in England and Hoylake uh, and Royal Liverpool, where Rory McIlroy won his British Open some years back. I think I got to start with Rory. I, I think that the way he, the fact that he won the Scottish Open, the way he won the Scottish Open, would seem to me makes him at least the co-favorite, if not the outright favorite, and puts an enormous amount of pressure on him. I know you really like Rory. I really like Rory. He has folded before under this sort of pressure. The one in Northern Ireland, I remember, at Royal Port Rush, he didn't even make the cut. What are your thoughts on Rory right now? Tony, far be it for me to ever tell you, the most accomplished person I know in this business, how to start an interview, but I have never in a hundred years with you started an open championship interview without you asking about the hotel situation. I'm going to get to that. I, <laughs> I just thought we'd get Rory out of the way. Okay, all right, wait, let's start again. Let's start again. <laughs> Steve Sands is at Royal Liverpool in Hoylake, England. Liverpool is the home of the Beatles. It's That's a rather right. industrial city, though not as industrial, for example, as Manchester, the home of the animals. Right. And because Sands, you know, <laughs> is our friend for, of long standing, and we are concerned about the hotel he's in, what kind of dump have they put you in? <laughs> this is the nicest hotel. Really? I've ever stayed at in any Open Championship. Wow. It's incredible. A, and you know this means a lot to me, Heated toilet seat. Oh, yeah. It's big. B, big, big win. It's a double robe. Had to move these two huge robes out of the way so I can hang up the shirts and ties and the jackets and all that kind of stuff. Wow. I thinking about you. Kind of like that scene in A Few Good Men when Tom Cruise sees all the clothes <laughs> in the closet lined up. I'm just looking at them, thinking of Tony Kornheiser. Hmm. And I mean, it's just the food downstairs is good, the bar is open late. Uh, the food is open well past midnight, so when we get done here late at night, we have a place to eat, and the room is big. It's You can't get the air conditioning down too low. You know, I get a little nervous over here with the A.C. pumping, but it's a great hotel, Tom. What is the That's name of the hotel? Important. What's the name? It's way more important than anything Rory McIlroy does this week. Okay, what's the what's the name uh, of the hotel? It's like the Mal Sam, uh, Mal, Mal Sam. Okay, so it's it's not a chain hotel. It's it's a not a Best West. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. You're not in La Quinta. You're not in the Hampton Inn. By the way, here's another key. Here's another key over here, Tony. As you know, and 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 you know this well. One faucet 
yeah. not that weirdo two faucet yeah. thing. They got piping hot and freezing cold on the right. It's one faucet. This is a great hotel, man. Is it possible you will stay there after the open and just live there for a while because it's so nice? <laughs> Zero. Okay. Zero chance. Wilbon, where did Wilbon go? What's the, the one he went to? Could where live here. Wilbon went to the one where they're going to have the Ryder Cup. A dare something? Uh, is it called a dare manor or something like that? Oh, yeah, dare manor. Yeah, the he Ryder loved Cup, uh, that's, it. That's the... Uh, that's the incredible charity event that happens every year. The Adair Manor is spectacular. He, that, he that, loved it so much resort. that he was considering trying yeah, to get a not... studio built there. <laughs> he loved it. <laughs> well, the problem with that is when they have the Ryder Cup there, people like Wilbon won't be staying there. Right. Like, you can't stay there because the PGA of America and also the European Tour, the DP World Tour, will be taking up all those rooms. He'll be staying in some dump near Adair Manor. But yeah. Adair Manor is he, he loved spectacular. It. He just loved it. All right. Uh, so I didn't really begin this way about Rory. I'm waiting a few minutes to talk about Rory. So we'll just mention Rory and the way he comes into this and the pressure on him. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Oh, man, Tony. I mean, we, we've gone through this now for almost nine years. He hasn't won a major championship since August at the PGA Valhalla in Louisville in 2014. That's nine years. That's a long, long time between major championships for a guy who won four of them from 2011 to 2014. A couple of things bode well for him. A, he won his Open Championship in 2014, a month prior to that, here at Royal Liverpool. Different golf course now, a lot of changes to it, but still great vibes coming back here. And he won last week at the Scottish Open. Now, that might not be a huge deal for a lot of people, but for Rory, he needed a victory. He needed to see himself cross the line. It's been a while for him. He won earlier this season, but it had been a long time for him. And he's the last guy, Tony, to win a PGA Tour event the week before a major and go on to win the following week's major. So I think that those are good signs for him, and it's a soft golf course because there's been a ton of rain. Right now, there's blue skies. amazing. It's gorgeous out um, but it's going to be a soft golf course, and he has played very, very well on soft courses, meaning that, you know, all the rain and, and it does not be able to bake it out here. There's no way to get it dry. And he's won his four majors on soft golf courses. So I think he has good vibes. Whether it's his week or not, we'll have to wait and see. He is paired for the first two days with John Rahm and yeah. Justin Rose. This is a monster pairing. It's a monster a group that goes out there. Is that likely to help or hurt him? Oh, I think it'll help him. Uh, first of all, it's a good tee time, um, meaning that it's not you know crazy early or right. crazy late. Um, John Rahm is easy to play with. Uh, he might seem like a very fiery guy and a guy who's just kind of has blinders on. He's actually very congenial to play with Justin Rose is as well. Uh, and when you're Rory McIlroy, when you're John Rahm, when you're Scotty Scheffler, and, you know, those kinds of players, I mean, Justin Rose is a legend here in the U.K. He's a gold medalist yeah. in Rio at the Olympics in 2016. He won a U.S. Open at Marion. Justin Rose is a legend here in England. So that's why he is with two of the best three players in the world because they're playing here in his home country of England. I, I think Rory uh, will, will enjoy that pairing. Uh, I think that group is good for all three of them. I think all three of them should perform pretty well tomorrow. Um, speaking of pressure, I, I'm, I'm curious about this. The defending Open champion is Cam Smith. He's been totally out yep. of the limelight in the United States because he's been on the Saudi tour, which gets no publicity. I don't know how he's playing. 
uh, coming in. I mean, he's a really, really good player. Is there pressure on him? And do you have thoughts about how he's playing? I don't know if there's any pressure on him. I mean, he got his title uh, a year ago. Shot a Sunday 64 at St. Andrews yeah. to beat, yeah. among others, Rory McIlroy and Cameron Young. I mean, he's a he is a great, great player, and he is one of the top five putters on the planet. No matter what tour you play on, his putting stroke is incredible. Um, he also doesn't. He also plays well in bad weather, and we're supposed to have bad weather over the weekend. You never know, but over the weekend, the forecast is for bad weather. He won a couple of weeks ago, Tony, at the Live event in London. Um, if you are a person who subscribes to the theory that winning breeds winning, no matter what tour it's on, yep. then I think that's going to bode well for him this week. And he knows how to get to the finish line in this thing. He knows how uh, to handle the pressure of this event. And I don't see any reason why Cam Smith uh, isn't a factor this week. Um, so the, the three majors so far have been won by John Rahm and Brooks Kepka and Wyndham Clark. Uh, these are, you know, yep. Rahm and, and Kepka have won majors before. They are studs. There's no question about that. Wyndham Clark, it was his first. Um, a lot of things were said when Kepka won about, you know, whether or not the Saudi tour could breed good golf anymore because there were no cuts and there were only 54 holes. Has I assume that's disappeared because Kepka won, but is there any sort of in, in light of the proposed merger? Is there is there any talk about still the rivalry between the Saudi Tour and the PGA Tour? The rivalry for sure. Uh, there's been a lot of chatter about that. But to your point on the earlier, you know, issue as far as Liv playing in major championships. Remember, they started the year at the Masters. Kepka had the 54 hole lead. Yeah. Uh, Patrick yeah. Reed played well. Phil Mickelson was runner-up that week. And then the PGA Championship happened at Oak Hill, and Brooks Kepke got that win. So I think that the thinking of live guys not being prepared to play in these major championships has subsided because of the success uh, at the first couple of majors in particular. Not so much uh, at the U.S. Open, but the first two majors for sure. Uh, as for the rivalry goes, I don't think that there's a lot of talk about the rivalry. I think there's just a lot of talk about what's going to happen. Right. Like, I just saw Louis Eustace. Okay? Like, Louis Eustace, until he's one of the nicest people you've ever met in your life. All right? He won an Open in 2010 at St. Andrews. And I haven't seen Louis in months because he's gone to live. Right. And he looks at me, drops his putter, and looks at me and goes, Hey, we can hug again. Everybody's coming together again. And he's just kind of joking. Um, you know, and I was catching up with him a little bit, a couple of the other guys who I haven't seen in a long time because they're on live uh, and we don't cover live. Um, and, you know, they're more interested, Tony, in what's going to happen. How is this going to play out? Is live going to be a viable option for them to continue to play? Or is the PGA Tour in this new merger, this new partnership going to swallow up live? And then they're going to have to either qualify uh, to try to get back on the PGA Tour or have their suspension extended and then allowed to come back at their certain world golf ranking, whatever that case may be. The curiosity of what's going to take place has kind of taken over the rivalry part of both sides, if that makes any sense. It does. I, I mean, I'm going to ask this. It's going to sound hopelessly naive, I, I suspect, but you're out of the country, okay? So, so right. you're in England where one would presume, or at least I would presume, that that Saudi PGA Tour thing 
has a certain greater balance than it does in the United States, which is why I'm asking, do you have a sense, do you get this sense from people like Ustazen or other people that this is going to happen, that there will be the opportunity to reunify? Yes, 100%. I think the PGA Tour players uh, believe that, and I think that also the guys who have gone to the Live Tour are also saying the same thing. I, look, Tony, here's the deal. It's very simple. There are a couple of things in life that are undefeated, all right? Money is one of them. Yes, and Piff yes. Was going to, <laughs> Piff was going to swallow up the tour. Yeah. They were going to eat up the tour. They were not going to be able to conduct business the way the PGA Tour has been able to conduct business for the last six, de- six decades. Something had to give. That's why this merger and this partnership leading the way by Jimmy Dunn had to happen. The part that nobody likes about it from a player standpoint is that they didn't know a thing about it. Right. And I think they now have an understanding that when you're doing business deals that are worth, you know, tens of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars in the future, how many people can really know about these things? And you have to keep your, you know, your stuff tight before it actually gets released. So I think that's the part that, you know, has upset the players, but every one of them on both sides, whether you're on a, whether you're a live guy or whether you're a PGA tour guy, all of them has said that they do think it's going to come together. Um, and they do think it's going to come together in relatively quick fashion. I think live is going to exist coinciding with the PGA tour in 2024. But I think most people think that by January of 25, most people in the world of golf, I mean, uh, by January of 2025, uh, most people think that there's going to be one, not two, uh, elite tours uh, in that stature, in that stratosphere. Yeah, so I'll get you out of here on this. Um, Greg Norman and Jay Monahan have both sort of looked like they, you know, were not in control uh, of what they were supposed to be in control of. Do you think both of them will retain their positions within the next two years? I don't think there's anywhere in the world Greg Norman's going to be a part of anything that has the PGA Tour label on it. There is a major, major, major disagreement between the people with the PGA Tour and Greg Norman and vice versa. Uh, So I think Greg will be out. Uh, Jay Monaghan is going to fight uh, for his job, Tony, but I I just don't see how he wins that battle. I I just think that there's too much trust that has been lost amongst the best players in the world. Now, he could battle his way back and, and earn that back. Jay's a very good man, Tony, but he's in a brutally difficult spot. If you take Manfred, Bettman, Silver, and Goodell, they work for the owners. They collectively bargain against the players or with the players, if you want to say it nicely, and they're on opposite sides of the table. Yes, The tour is different. Jay Monahan works for the players, Tony. He doesn't work for owners. So he has to answer to the players. And the players have a majority of seats on the policy board. So if they want to remove Jay, they can do it. And I think that that seems like where it's headed right now. But I do think Jay has some time to perhaps recover, especially if the deal is something really positive for the best players in the world who remain loyal to the PGA Tour. But if it wavers a little bit, I don't see how there's any way he survives and stays 
the third commissioner of the PGA Tour. I think there'll be a fourth one in place yeah. uh, in 2024. I agree with you. You want to pick a winner for us just out of the hat, you know? Yeah, I think there's a few guys I like. Um, I like Colin Morikawa. Mm-hmm. I like Ricky Fowler a lot. Really? Uh, and I think a couple of guys off the board, uh, Tyrrell Hatton um, and Tommy Fleetwood, I think is going to play well as well. But I, I think I think it could be Ricky and, and Colin Morikawa uh, coming down the stretch on Sunday. And, boy, that would make for some good TV. I'll point this out to you, which I'm Speaking sure you know. TV. Speaking of good TV, Tony. Yeah. Speaking of good TV, Tony, one, one second. Did you what? happen to see the Steph Curry? I, I heard you with Wilbon on Monday. Did you happen to see the Steph Curry finish? That was insane. I saw it, not live. I mean, I saw, I saw the replay. I saw how it oh worked. Gosh. Yeah. That was, that was it, incredible. It was anyway. exciting. Um, those four guys you've picked, if I'm not mistaken, there's not one of them over six feet tall? They're smaller fellas? Is that because it doesn't require great length on this course? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I think if you have length, it's always an advantage. I think the key this week, a couple things. Second shot, so iron play. Right. And I also think the kind of player this week who is going to compete and win is a conservative player, a patient player. If you hit it in a bunker, if someone told me earlier today, uh, I was talking to Darren Clark, who won the 2011 Open Championship, and we were walking a couple of holes early this morning, and he said, there isn't a single fairway bunker if you happen to roll it in there. If it happens to find one of those fairway bunkers, not one on the golf course, where you can hit it onto the green from there, from the fairway bunkers, not the green right, side bunkers. Right. And I was like, wow, so it's going to require patience, and it's going to require conservative play. And I think some guys are going to try to overpower the golf course and try to get the ball past those bunkers, which they can, but if you become too aggressive here, you'll get yourself in a ton of trouble. The scores are going to be good. I think the, the winning score is going to be somewhere between 15 and 20 under par, but it doesn't mean that it's an easy golf course. And I think the conservative players like Ricky, like Colin, guys who don't take a ton of chances. By the way, that's how Tiger and Jack won all their major championships. Hang around, hang around, hang around, hang around, then pounce. That's why I like those two. I think those two are the two of the best players who play conservative golf, and this golf course, I think, requires that. We will be watching, um, enjoy the golf, and mostly enjoy the hotel. Enjoy probably the back bar (laughs) at the hotel. That's probably where you're headed. Thank you, Steve. Three of the great words in the English language. Heated toilet seat. (laughs) Steve Sands, boys and girls, we will take a break. We'll come back with Pat Forty and a bunch of crazy stuff in college. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is, again, Jackie and the Treehorns. This is a song called Edgewater. This is an instrumental yes. by Jackie and the Treehorns. You can see them Friday night at Zen West in Baltimore. You can see them next Friday at the Reunion Summer Shows at St. Stephen's Church on Newton Street in Washington, D.C., Newton Street Northwest. And you can see him Saturday, August 5th at the Quarry House Tavern in downtown Silver Spring, Maryland. And, you know, if you use the word quarry, I think of the quarrymen. Of course, you know, yes. I mean, everybody thinks of the quarrymen, yeah. obviously. John and Paul. All right. right. So we were supposed to have Pat Forty on today, and we cannot connect with Pat. That's not going to work for us. Um, so I will tell you, we were going to talk about the Alabama baseball coach who is implicated in betting on college baseball games 
and was fired and is never going to get another job. Does not appear to be. He's not going to get another job. We were going to talk about Tennessee deserving to be, you know, suspended and taken out of bowl games, and that didn't happen. They just got fined, and Pat wrote in Sports Illustrated that we're in a new day now that really doesn't matter what you do. You're going to get fined. You're going to get hit monetarily, but you're not going to get suspended. We were going to talk about Northwestern in light of Pat Fitzgerald and whether he will get another job or not, and in terms of the students who are now um, sort of suing. They're not sort of suing. They're suing Northwestern and what this means for Northwestern. And we were going to talk about a story that Mike and I did on PTI yesterday that I found very interesting, which is the second-year coach at Oklahoma, football coach at Oklahoma, who took over when Lincoln Riley left to go to USC, Brett, Brent Venables. Venables, that's right, yeah. He took out after Dion. He very specifically said, well, at least I didn't give my players pink slips like Dion did. I gave him a grace year. I kept everybody on the team. I didn't get rid of anybody. That was a grace year. Well, he also went 6-7. and seven. He inherited an 11-2 and two team, and he went 6-7. and seven. First losing season Oklahoma's had in 24 years. If he goes 6-7 and seven this year, he can have another grace year and another 10 after that out on the street because <laughs> he's going to get fired. Yes, he it, is. This is Oklahoma. Yes. This is not Colorado. Colorado was 1-11 last year. Colorado hasn't been good in a long time. And he took out after Dion. And you think to yourself, why would you name Dion in this very specific way? It's not like Dion Sanders ever said, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to work with what I've got. Right. Deion Sanders said, I'm going to come in here, I'm going to bring a lot of Louis Vuitton luggage, and I'm going to tell these people to get out because they were 1-11. 1-11, <laughs> yeah. Deion has, there were 85 scholarship players going into last season at Colorado. Ten remain. Ten. Ten. This is called cleaning house. Dion has recruited people from the transfer portal. Dion has recruited people from high school. Deion Sanders, he's no shrinking violet. You don't have to ask him twice about what he's going to do. This was his plan all along. Yes. And it is hard for me to believe that the people who hired him at Colorado are somehow surprised by this. Or disappointed. They're not. Yeah. No, they were 1-11. Yeah. If, if their players were any good, they wouldn't have been 1-11. And if Dion, and it's a bad team, if Dion were to win three games this year or four games this year, then what, what is Brett Venables going to say about that? Because that would be terrific. I like Deion Sanders. I've known Deion Sanders for a long time. I like him. I like him on television. Offered you that burgundy suit, didn't he? Yeah, burgundy suit. I said, oh, man, I can't wear this suit. (laughs) Um, And I I wish him all the best. If it doesn't work, you'll know. Yeah. You'll know in two years. If he's 1-11 and and 2-10. and That's it. That's it. Yeah. It's not going to work. But Venables. But Venables, again, inherited an 11-2 and and went to 6-7 and Mm. and somehow has cast himself as Mahatma Gandhi. What are you you talking about? So I wanted to talk about all these things with Pat. We cannot reach Pat. I know that these things will be out on the table at some other point and we'll get to them at some other point. And in the meantime, we'll just do a short show and we'll tell you that coming up next is email and jingle and I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show.
is such an honor. It really is. It's an honor. <laughs> this is the Missouri Marching Band. Marching Band, yes. That's a tremendous honor. I was just thinking that's one of the coolest things that we've ever had happen for the show. Love great, that. It is. It's a great honor. They yes. got the whole band to do this. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel Land? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com. For the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in and you will be thrilled. All right. Small story about today's lyrics. Here are the lyrics. I got to get to rock and get my hat off the rack. I got the boogie woogie like a knife in the back. So be my guest. You got nothing to lose. Won't you let me take you on a sea cruise? Ooey, ooey, baby. That's Frankie Ford. Yes. And Nigel said to me the other day, I just, I'm not sure you're going to get this one. And, and do you want to tell what happened? Well, yeah, because there's a sound effect that begins that song. Ooey, that, ooey, baby. Yeah, it's like a ship's bell or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. It's a cruise. So I, so I, 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 cruise. I say a couple of lines. You immediately get the song. Then I'm, I'm in the studio and you come up and say, and by the way, here's the rest of the song. Yeah, because it's in my head. It's <laughs> yes. stuck in my head. I can't remember the quarterback's name for the Tennessee Titans. It took me four minutes to realize it was Ryan Tannehill the other day. But if you say Frankie Ford Frankie and Sea Cruise, you've got it. I understand that. Thanks to our guest today, Steve Sands. Thanks to our sponsors, Indochino, ZipRecruiter, Simply Safe. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey if you get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. So we've had a lot of mail about cruises because I said the other day I was thinking about river cruise. this river cruise in Europe. All right, this is from Scotty Baker. Barry in Springs, Michigan, who says he's the unofficial Egyptian archaeologist at the Tony Kornheiser Show. Ooh. And, you know, and I took Egyptology courses in college, yeah. so I know about this. I've only been on one cruise, a Nile cruise, three days of bliss, only a few hundred people on the boat, and most you only see at mealtime, although that can be mitigated by going early or late. Sitting on the top deck, both shorelines in clear view, as a soft breeze calms and cools is really an experience of a lifetime. The best part of a river cruise is that basically your hotel travels to a site. You get off, see the site, you get right back on into air-conditioned bliss. No pools on deck means few kids and no guy in a Mickey Mouse suit trying to sell you a photo. However, I wouldn't necessarily recommend a Nile cruise for you. The food is really not that good. And each trip includes the obligatory belly dancer and whirling dervish. Also, not many golf courses to play along the route. Mm. However, I do recommend the experience if you can find the right trip, perhaps one with two bathrooms. From Benjamin... Madrell, this is stapled together. It's no river cruise, but four days broadcasting from Gazebo Row seems hard to pass up. This is the Hallmark Channel Christmas cruise. <laughs> this seems like oh has to God. happen. <laughs> oh my God. The holiday cruise, created in partnership with immersive festival expert Sixth Man, will feature Christmas crafts, activities, appearances from Hallmark stars, and more. Here's a quick overview of all the fun Christmas cookie decorating. Christmas karaoke, Check. ugly sweater contest, mm. Hallmark Channel wine tastings, light the night sail away ceremony and tree lighting, photo opportunities and behind the scenes panels with Hallmark Channel's uh, stars. It's departs, Port of Miami, day one, day two, day at sea, day three, Nassau, Bahamas, day four, day at sea, day five, arrive Port of Miami. Five-day tour. I'd honestly kill myself. <laughs> I mean, I, I would choose to kill myself. I just can't. That's not for me. A haiku from Shad. Cruising the river. A smaller Petri dish is still a Petri dish. <laughs> it was a Petri dish. Petri, I believe, yes. From David Ladder. I'm a long-time listener ever since you were on WTEM. Anyway, I vacationed on a riverboat cruise in Europe during June 2019 on the Danube River from Passau, Passau Germany, to Budapest. 
passing through several parts of Austria, which was breathtaking. There were approximately 170 passengers and maybe 40 to 50 employees of the cruise line on the boat. You can always see land with unbelievable small towns, which you would not see on a large cruise ship on the ocean. The best thing about the riverboat cruise is they park in town where you are going and don't have to take another small boat as on a large cruise ship. Give it a shot. There's lots to see from David Ladder. You know, I don't just want to do antiquity. I want to play golf. You want to play golf. Yeah, there's got to be a golf. If, yeah, if, well, there is. This, Joe Jacks was telling me about there is a, a golf cruise. Okay. From Rory Kimberlin in Gardner, Maine, who emails us frequently. If Mr. Tony goes on a river cruise, <clears throat> I hope those fingers remember to type. That is a book that needs to happen. <laughs> Admittedly, if I were on that trip, I would remain in my room for fear of my portrayal in said book. Personally, I'd love to see you start with a Mississippi casino cruise. Ooh. That would feed Thursday shows for a year. I'm not doing <laughs> From Chris Campbell in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Perhaps you haven't heard, but Ritz-Carlton has their own yachts. The EVRIMA Evrima set sail in 2021 and has up to 298 guests in their suites. No regular cabins here. While the website doesn't specify, I would think this is a two-bathroom situation. Oh, yeah. And they might even have heated toilets and bidets. There are five first-class restaurants and six lounges. The ILMA comes online next year. The ILMA, I guess that's another one, but 448 guest capacity. This is truly cruising with one percenters. I, I don't want 448. No, you limited crowd. Um, when I was a women's yes. college basketball coach, many of the AAU and other non-scholastic off-season sporting events were played on college campuses. However, in 2011, the NCAA enacted Bylaw 1311-18, which eliminated such events. There were some multiple sports facilities with a number of courts and fields. The one at Disney World was one of the most famous, but a number of events took places in college like Maryland, Penn State, etc. However, in the last 12 years, there have been a large growth in these multi-sport facilities, with Spooky Nook being the largest and one of the shiniest. Just think of a sports facility with leather seats and heated steering wheels. From Alex Tinio. Martinsburg, West yes, Virginia. Yes, from West Virginia. Yes, we love Alex. Liz attempting to put you at ease with her recollection of a three-hour tour, but if I'm not <laughs> mistaken, Gilligan was on a three-hour yes, tour. That's a fair point. From Bill Farley in Ashland, Pennsylvania. I've been on a Viking river cruise that had 180 people on board, 20 short of capacity. Most of the travel was at night while we slept. Went to bed in Budapest, woke up in Vienna. I'm 76 years old, had all the trepidations you have about cruises, and I had a great time. We'll absolutely do another river cruise. By the way, the Danube is not blue. The biggest problem for me was the eight-hour flight from Munich to Newark, New Jersey. Check with Viking to see if they have cruises directed at golfers. I know they have cruises aimed at bikers. Viking does have cruises in the United States on the Mississippi River. That's very nice. That is. It's good intel. From David Parsent in Palm Beach, Florida. I really enjoyed Liz's story about taking a Seine river cruise in Paris with her dad. I also thought those were corny, but after a few trips to Paris, I decided it was time to try it. You've got to book the pricey dinner cruise to avoid the flip-flop and fanny pack crap. You've got to avoid the flip-flop and fanny pack crap. I can honestly say it was one of the most magical experiences my wife and I have shared. We sat most of the time in silence. Not the awkward silence we usually sit in, but a loving and peaceful silence. We went by the Eiffel Tower as it sparkled. The string quartet played Ave Maria as we cruised past Notre Dame. Halfway through the meal, my wife took my hand and mouth words, thank you. And for at least three days afterwards, she didn't once give me that you're a dope look that I've gotten so used to. Well done. Brian Deaton, Lexington, Kentucky. So you're actually considering a vacation combining flying and cruising, both of which you hate? What's next? A pumpkin tasting with Raju Narasetti <laughs> from Jim McNicholas in West Grove, Pennsylvania. I have a similar temperament as you and was skeptical about taking a cruise. 
God forbid being on a Disney cruise with 6,000 screaming kids. They are my employer, but no, I'm not. Yeah, you're not going to no, do that. That's no, not no. But a river cruise with 140 guests and crew was a wonderful experience. I would recommend the wine specialty cruise on the Uniworld Boutique River Cruise Collection. Excellent river cruise down the Rhone River in the south of France. You get a guided tour of the Burgundy and Provence regions with choices of daily guided activ- activities visiting vineyards, Rome ruins, truffle farms, cooking class, etc. The best part of the experience was the onboard sommelier and the curated wines from the local vineyards with dinner. Country Club Pours. Oh, those are big. They're like eight to 10 ounces. As the cruise was all inclusive, no nickel and diming of guests. Service was excellent. They pick you up and return you to the airport in a private car. Stress-free departure and return. My trip would be to up, my tip would be to upgrade to a suite for more room and to use the intimate bar in the rear of the vessel. By using the bar in the rear of the vessel, it was similar to having a private room at your country club. Everyone stays in the bar, lounge, and dining room at the front of the vessel. You and your travel companions have a quiet setting with your own bartender in the rear. Mm. I've had the opportunity to travel the world for business and become very jaded about the state of traveling Traveling currently. The cruise line and their service was a first-class experience I highly recommend. I am sort of taken aback by how many people who listen to us have had this experience yeah. and who write in and tell me about it and either recommend or do not recommend it. Um, you never know when you're doing the show who's listening (laughs) you don't yes and i am always buoyed by the fact that we have smart listeners yes who have means and who still listen and can talk about things like this i'm i'm very grateful for that if you're out on your bike tonight everyone as always do wear white you know they all get involved and they all got their gear already and so they're going to be all colored up in uh in the maroon and black and yellow
Social life, public, where they 